Uh, when I was a little bit younger, um, growing up through junior high and high school, I, I kind of had some aspirations to act. That may come as a surprise to many of you. I, that's not funny. I, I just, I enjoyed it. I never wanted to do it for a career. I always knew that I was called to ministry and, and at the time ministry to young people. So I knew all of that, but I just, I always wanted to act. I always wanted to be on the stage and, and kind of, you know, develop characters and all of that kind of stuff. So it gave me several opportunities through the years. Some of those were great. Some of those were not great. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I believe in family. I believe that, that we should share life with one another and that we should actually remove the masks and, and we, should, we should tell one another about some of, the, some of the darker places of our lives. Got serious very quickly. So I thought I'd share some of mine with you. I, I, I acted a little bit as I was growing up. Uh, I did have the opportunity. Our church did a lot of, in, in Colorado, the church that we came out of and planted I got the opportunity to do some stuff for like Easter. We had big Easter productions. We had big Christmas productions. I think I have a picture of one of the Easter productions here uh, where I was the narrator for our play, The Thorn, a big drama. So I was Thomas, the disciple, and I was the narrator through the thing. That, um, that actually is the only time in my life where I will have a beard uh, because I've been working on this thing for 42 years and it's pretty much the same. So I was really grateful for that opportunity. That, that was pretty fun. Um, there was another opportunity that I had at one of our Christmas shows, um, not quite as uh, stellar of a part because I played this. It was the Christmas crab. That's me right there. Um, I'm not sure why we sang Under the Sea in a Christmas presentation, but we did. And so I was the crab and I sang Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. Funny story. It's actually not funny. Uh, there were some issues with my mic, so, so my brother, Ross, he forced me to go into the studio and record the song so that they, couldn't, they wouldn't have mic issues. But on the night that we were performing this, in front of about 4,000 people, mind you, the, the audio engineer hit the wrong setting on the board. And so it flipped and it went bad and I couldn't hear anything. And they're playing my voice and I'm in this suit. I can hear my voice, but it's totally off with the orchestra that's playing behind me. And then I hear all the audio engineers and all the tech people in my ears saying, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is a nightmare. Oh, this is the worst thing that ever could have happened. Oh, he's gonna be so mad. I was hearing all of that while I'm trying to mouth words in a stupid crab costume going like this. <laughs> it was terrible. I'm still not quite over it. And I really don't appreciate you laughing at me like that. Um, and then in some of my darker moments, um, back when I was a youth pastor, I had a recurring character. His name was Clarence. And Clarence was kind of a wannabe uh, gangster. And so... We did a lot with Clarence. Uh, that's him right there, and that was a big Christmas dance number that we had. And so um, I just feel it's important to let you in on the darker recesses of my life as your pastor, and, and those were dark days indeed. Um, but as I was thinking about all these acting opportunities, right, I was thinking about actors, and I was thinking about how you should take that down for sure. You should take that down. <laughs> I was thinking about how um, it's still there. <laughs> You're doing that on purpose. I was thinking about how actors want to be the star. Actors want to be the ones in the limelight. And so you, you audition, you learn the parts, you go and audition. And at the audition, you do your best and hopefully that you get the part, right? That's what they want so much. They want to get that starring role. And then you don't get it and you're crushed. You're devastated because all you're going to get is a supporting role maybe. It's the same thing for, for athletes. You know, you work hard, and you try out, and you want, you want that starting position, and you don't get the starting position, and you're crushed. You're going to sit the bench. Ugh, I want it to be the one. 
Or it happens in business too. Like you want the promotion, you want, some, you want to further your career. So you interview and you're hoping to get that position and it doesn't get to you. It goes to somebody else and you are devastated. You're not the one in the limelight. You're not the one that gets to be the star. You're not the one that gets to start the game. And suddenly it's not about you, it's about somebody else and you get to support. And that's frustrating for a lot of us. I guess today my hope, my goal is that I would help all of you to feel exactly that way over the next several moments. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Let's talk a little bit about what this means. We've been in this series for the past several weeks. We've kind of taken a deep dive on our purpose. And we've talked about finding and fulfilling God-given purpose for our lives. We've talked about the obstacles that rise up to kind of prevent us from doing that from time to time. If you've missed out on some of those, I just want to encourage you to go back. Get the podcast on iTunes. Go to One Chapel. Find it. I think it'll hopefully be helpful to you uh, as you kind of figure this thing out. Because the truth is, all of us are on this journey to find purpose. And God's purpose for our life. So... So there's one more thing, though, before we go on that we need to talk about. Before we close this series today, there's one more thing that we need to talk about in regards to our purpose. And that is the big picture of what God is doing in the earth. Because our purpose is actually just a part in God's big story. We tend to think, though, of life that that life is actually the story of us. As soon as I say that, many of you are like crying already. Oh, story of us. (laughs) You watch that show? It is. Okay. All right, so many of you are thinking, it's the story of us. This life is the story of me. It's my story, but it's not. This life that we're living is actually God's story. He is the star, God's story, and you and I get to play a supporting role. It's so easy for us, though, in life, to, I think, to miss it. We miss out on that, trying to make it the story of us. And I think we just do that overall. I think it's easy for us to focus in on one thing. Have you ever done that? You focus in on one little thing. Maybe it's something that your spouse does, or maybe it's something that your kid does, and you miss the overall picture of the relationship. You focus in on that one thing, and you miss the bigger picture. This morning, I want to give you a test. I know you're excited about that. I want to give you a little bit of a test, and I want to see how you're doing with your awareness. And so I'm going to show you this video in a moment, and I want you just to follow the instructions, okay? It's not hard, I promise, it'll be easy. You're not gonna get graded or anything like that, but I want you to follow the instructions. Let's see how we do, all right? Let's watch this together. All right, how many of you got it? How many of you got the right number? You got the right number. I heard you, you're so proud of yourselves. 13, booyah, good job, all right. And you told, how many of you missed it? You did not see the moonwalking bear. Yeah, pretty much everybody, yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's how this works. We get so involved in the story of my life and my purpose that we miss out on the truth that there is a bigger picture that's going on in the earth. And you and I get to be a part of it. So pastor and author Louis Giglio, some of you are familiar with him, he wrote a book called I Am Not, But I Know I Am. And he said, the story already has a star and the star is not you or me. He says, if we don't get the two stories straight, everything else in our lives will be out of sync. We'll spend our days trying to hijack the story of God, turning it into the story of us. This life is a story of God, and you and I get to play a supporting role in that story, and that is amazing. That's not a downer. That's not a bummer. That is a glory for all of us. And we start talking about God's story. One of the questions that's captivated the church for for centuries is this idea of, when will Jesus return? When is he going to come back? And of course, a bunch of people have made guesses about that, and every one of them have been wrong. 
Some of you who are of a certain age might remember the book 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Any of you? Any of you? <laughs> yeah, that's embarrassing for us. Um, in 1995, the Left Behind series debuted and, and everybody got real confused and everybody started looking for empty clothes or, or empty planes being flown around or empty cars crashing into each other, right? Or then in 2011, just recently, a man named Harold Camping, he predicted that Judgment Day would be May 21st, 2011. Do you remember this? He had billboards around. There was one actually here in Kyle, I think. It's a big billboard saying that Judgment Day was May 21st, 2011. And of course, we're all still here. It didn't happen, so he miscalculated and he moved it to October. So that was a good decision, I guess. Um, the reality is that Jesus will return one day. And as exciting as that question is for all of us, there is another question that I think needs to be answered if we're going to fully understand our purpose and who we are in God's story. And that question is, why did Jesus leave in the first place? <laughs> why did he leave? Why did Jesus go? So I want us to just step back for a minute, and I want us to consider kind of the sweeping meta-narrative of the scriptures, the big story of God, and I want us to think about how this works. This moment, it culminates, that story culminates in the most dramatic event in all of human history, the incarnation of God himself in human form in Bethlehem. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we read the story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, which is just ridiculous that angels just keep doing that. All through the scriptures, they appear, they're super scary, and they say, hey man, don't worry about it. I don't understand it. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Everybody, it's getting into the holiday season. Do you feel it? I read that scripture and I just feel it. Somebody throw me a pumpkin spice latte quick. <laughs> this moment right here, this incarnational moment, it's been called the very hinge of history. It's been called the greatest story that's ever been told. And the reason is because no other person and no other event has so impacted the course of world history. And most of us know the story that follows, right? But the reality is, is that for most of us, we've always listened to it through our 21st century ears. So I want us to go back just a little bit. I want us to go back in time and I want you to think about it in the terms of the disciples and how they would have seen this story unfolding. Remember, the disciples did not know the, how the story ends. They didn't know how the story ends like we do today. They were living it. So these first disciples, they were part of the once great nation of Israel. And they'd been trampled by a succession of empires over thousands of years. And now the Roman Empire was under control, the most powerful of all. And all the prophets through the years had foretold of a savior, a Messiah. And he would be the king again on David's throne. And someday he was going to liberate and restore the fallen nation of God's chosen people. And they'd all been waiting. They'd been waiting for hundreds of years for this to happen, for the Messiah King to appear. And just about 30 years after this miraculous night in Bethlehem, Jesus bursts onto the scene. He's publicly declaring in the local synagogues that he was the fulfillment of all of the messianic prophecies through the years. It was him. He was the Christ. The Jewish people had longed to see him for centuries, and he was here. He was the king, and he would restore Israel. And you'd think, oh, the Jews, they must have been excited about this. This must have been good news for them. 
In Luke chapter 4, verse 29 through 30, it says, They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the, the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I've always loved that scripture. They're yelling and screaming, and Jesus is like, oh yeah, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me. And he just breaks through the crowd, and he gets away. I don't know how that happens, but it's pretty amazing. Actually, I do. He's God. It's kind of simple. Um, so then he starts, he starts dem- demonstrating indisputably that he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. He's performing a torrent of miracles. He's turning water to wine. He's healing the sick and the blind and the lame. He's feeding thousands of people. He's casting out demons. He's walking on water. He's quieting storms. And he's even raising the dead back to life. What he's doing, he's bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the earth. (laughs) Healing, justice, rightness. He's putting things to rights. It's pretty cool. For three years, he travels the countryside and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing. And Jesus' primary message as he went and traveled, his primary message was the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And the religious leaders, they're opposing him because they feel like he's threatening their power. But even still, through all of that, thousands of people begin to seek him to follow him. And from these travelers, he picks out, from these followers, he picks out 12 disciples to be in his inner circle and to travel with him and to be taught by him and to become his apprentices. So now put yourself in their shoes or their sandals as the case may be. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They'd been hand-selected by the rabbi, Jesus. He picked them out. He chose them by name. They had a ringside seat to the most amazing events that the world has ever seen. But they believed that Jesus was going to come to power, that he was going to simply overthrow Rome and sit on the throne. He would free Israel from their captivity. And they believed it so much that they would argue. They'd argue about their role in the kingdom and who was going to be the best when Jesus comes to power. But Jesus' kingdom wasn't political. It wasn't militant. It was something entirely different. And just when the disciples, they start to feel certain that Jesus is going to do it. He's going to liberate the Jews from Rome. The unthinkable happens. And Jesus the Messiah is betrayed by one of the 12, by Judas, someone who followed him and traveled with him and heard him and seen him heal people. He, he betrays him. Jesus is arrested one evening near Gethsemane where he had gone to pray. And the disciples, they all scatter in confusion and fear. And to their growing horror through the course of the night, a matter of hours, Jesus is brutally beaten. He's sentenced to death. He's nailed to a cross and he dies. And then he's buried in a tomb. I don't think that we can possibly imagine the depth of the despair of these disciples. All of their hopes had been dashed. Their dreams were crushed. Their teacher and friend was dead. The messianic king of Israel had been snuffed out. Everything they believed and hoped for was gone and seemingly was gone forever. So in their grief, they run and they hide and they fear for their own safety. And they even, some of them, deny ever knowing Jesus at all. And it seemed like the bad guys had won in this story. And it was over. Of course, most of us know that three days go by. And after three days, one last outrageous and unexpected plot twist takes place because inside the cold stone tomb Jesus rose from the dead that first Easter morning 
and the stone was rolled back, and Jesus emerges victorious from the tomb. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Everybody, there is no more dramatic story in all of the world. Think of the awe and the joy that the disciples must have felt. I don't think we could fully capture it, the depth of their emotion and joy. Nothing like this, nothing had ever happened in this way. Every hope that had been dashed was suddenly alive again. And Jesus actually was who he said he was. He was really the Messiah and the King and his resurrection had changed everything. We pick up the story in Acts chapter one, verse three. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples, they knew God was about to do something completely and totally different. The kingdom was not what they thought it was. And so in their sense of anticipation, it was growing. It's building towards this fever pitch because Jesus was back, Jack. And the revolution was back on track. That's a lot of act. Sorry about that. It's very poetic this morning. But then 40 days after this miraculous resurrection, Jesus takes the disciples to a familiar location on the Mount of Olives And the question was asked that they all wanted to know the answer to. Acts chapter one, verse six. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after that, in verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and the cloud hid them from their sight. Think about being there with them. Jesus left. He left us. He left us. Are you serious? After all these incredible events, after thousands of years of prophecy, after the incarnation of God in human form, the public ministry and profound teaching of Jesus, the astonishing signs and miracles, and finally Jesus' brutal death followed by his unprecedented unprecedented resurrection. After all this, Jesus just leaves again. That's it? That's the end? Listen, if I was writing the story, I just would have written it differently. Thank God I didn't write the story, but I wouldn't have written it that way. I mean, come on, all the sins are paid for, everybody. Jesus himself said on the cross, it is finished. So why not just go directly to Matthew chapter 25, to the judgment scene in heaven? Gather the nations, get the sheep and the goats, let's make the judgments, it's all behind you, and set up your eternal kingdom forever, amen, it's awesome. I mean, why not do that? Doesn't that make sense? Like, tie it up, man, put a bow on it, be done. Jesus doesn't do that, he chooses to leave and imagine their confusion verse 10 says they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them men of galilee they said why do you stand here looking into the sky the same jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven you can see them it says staring blankly instantly intently into the sky i mean 
he's coming back, right? Like he, he, he's coming back, right? Like this, is, this isn't it. Can you imagine the moment? Their mouths open, and 2,000 years later, many of us are doing the exact same thing. <laughs> what are you doing? What am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I around? Why did Jesus leave? When's he coming back? Why am I here? Listen, the very purpose and mission of the church depends on your answer to those questions. The reason that we're all here depends on the answer to that question. And your purpose and the meaning of your life also depends on the answer to that question. If we don't understand why Jesus left, we'll never understand the significance of our own lives. And here's the answer. Jesus left because there was something critical that he intended for his followers, for you and me, to do. There was some unfinished business for the church to take care of. Quickly, Matthew 24, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting, you know what? We don't have time. We're going to skip down. There's There's a big, long story you should read here later. Take your notes home and read it. But in verse 12, he says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. He was very specific about what he wanted done. He wanted the gospel of the kingdom preached to the whole world. Everybody, this is us. We are here to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world. And he said that he would return when that business had been completed. And I don't think it means that we're supposed to just stand on corners and yell at people about it. It means that we're supposed to participate. We're supposed to live in that kingdom and we're supposed to help usher more of that kingdom into the world that we live in. Into your family, into your life personally, into your career place, into the city that we live in, into the region and area that we live in, into the nation and into the world. So Jesus, he inaugurated the kingdom of God on the earth. And his disciples were tasked with multiplying and subduing the earth with that kingdom. Partnering with the spirit of God to see the kingdom of God come to everybody. So how should this affect the way that you and I live today and the understanding of our own purpose? And I think the answer lies in our own worldview. Is this my story? Or is this his story? Is this the story of Brent on the earth? Or is this the story of the kingdom of God and what he is doing? As Christians, as apprentices to Jesus, we have to see the world and the purpose and our purpose in it differently than everybody else. There's a Brazilian theologian, his name, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, but I think it's Frey, Frey Beto. He made this observation. The head thinks where the feet stand. The head thinks where the feet stand. Someone's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, if you, it means if you grew up in another country, it means that your worldview is going to be different in mine because I grew up in this country. Means if, if you grew up, if you were born and raised in, like, say, Beverly Hills, then you're going to have a very different worldview than the person that was born in, and grew up in rural Mississippi. Like, they're different places. But geography is not the only thing that affects our worldview. Your race, your economic status, your gender, your health, your family situation, all of these deeply affect your worldview. And so his observation is, stand in another person's shoes and your head is going to think differently. Stand in the shoes of somebody else and your head will think differently. And as true as this is for us as people interacting with other people, I think it's also true of us in our interaction with God. Because the very meaning and the purpose of our lives ultimately depends on understanding our place in the big story that the author of the universe is writing. Think about this. If we are characters in his story, created specifically to play a key role, 
then the ultimate meaning in our lives must be found by figuring out where our story intersects with God's big story. This is what we're here for. Authors don't create characters with no purpose and no role to play. Well, maybe George Lucas and Jar Jar Binks. I'm not sure. That might be a really useless exercise. But, but that's not just <laughs> like, nerd. Uh, some, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Who? Jar Jar, st- who? God chose not to complete the story and tie it all up with loose ends with Jesus' resurrection. And tie up, sorry, all the loose ends with Jesus' resurrection. Instead, with Jesus' triumph over the grave, he actually began a new chapter. And his final act was to give all of us, everybody, not just them, all of us, a mission in the world. A mission in the world that we live in. An assignment that he wanted all of us to undertake. And he gave all of us then his spirit so that you wouldn't have to do it alone. So that you wouldn't have to do it under your own strength and power. So that you wouldn't have to figure everything out. So that you wouldn't have to have just a convincing argument or have all the words to say at the right time. And all of those followers could accept that mission and all of its consequences, by the way. Or they could walk away and just return to their old job as tax collectors and as fishermen and just give it up. Jesus gave all of them a choice, and he gives you a choice today too. Do you want to participate in the big story of what God is doing? God, what am I doing here? What's my purpose? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to Listen, I'm telling you, you can begin to find it by taking a step back and finding the bigger story of what God is doing in the earth. How do I do that? You open up the book that he gave us that tells us that story, and you learn what that story is from beginning to end. A lot of us approach the Bible as an encyclopedia of truths. And when I deal with this problem, I open it up and I take a look and hopefully I find a problem. Many of us just use the, I'm just going to open it up and point my finger. Ooh, that's not an effective strategy, everybody. We need to understand the story. The Bible is the story of the mission of God and what he's doing. It's why it's so important. And we invest more in that story and we begin to find our place in it. I don't think I have time to read all of the rest of these scriptures. You can read Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It talks about all of the disciples afterwards. They're gathered up in the upper room, and they're praying, and they're waiting. In Acts chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost comes. The Spirit comes and empowers everybody, and the church really begins with a massive start. And from that day on, as we read the rest of the book of Acts, the disciples, they went about it. They were proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God with revolutionary fervor. Through Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and out to the ends of the world. And following and practicing the ways of Jesus. They're healing the sick. They're raising the dead. They're putting the world to rights. They're bringing the kingdom of God to bear by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody, that turned the world upside down. It changed everything. So none of them, none of them just went back to the lives that they had before. How could they? How could anybody go back after experiencing so much and understanding God's big story? I mean, everything had changed. And for centuries that have followed, none of that has changed. You and I are still a part of this. The vital mission that Jesus gave to his followers is still in force. It's still at play. And you're still invited into the story. So as followers of Jesus, we should want to embrace God's view of the world and what he wants to do. Your purpose is connected to the role 
that you play in God's big story. That is where you will find fulfillment. I think evangelist Oral Roberts, some of you know of him and, and his story through the years, and uh, I and some of the other pastors actually even went to that school, Oral Roberts University. But he defined so profoundly what, this vision that he felt God gave him. He talked about this idea because he felt like God told him to create a university that's called Oral Roberts University. And, and God's commission to Oral Roberts was to do this with all those students in that university. This is what we grew all those years of college. We said this every chapel service. Raise up your students to hear my voice, to go where my light is dim, where my voice is heard small, my healing power is not known, even to the uttermost bounds of the earth. And their work will exceed yours, and in this I am well pleased. The vision of ORU is to, simply put, go into every man's world, every person's world. To go into every person's world. That means to go into the world of medicine and tell the big story of what God is doing. To go into the world of education. We need teachers. I was just talking to Lupita and she's studying right now to become a teacher. She's gonna teach first grade kids and in that first grade classroom, she's gonna be telling this grand story of God and in doing so, she's gonna find her fit in the story and her purpose in it. We need people in the world of engineering. We need believers and followers of Jesus to go into the world of construction. We need for apprentices of Jesus to be in the world of service. We need apprentices of Jesus to be in the world of politics. Oh, God, help us. We need that. We need followers of Jesus to go into the world of entertainment and make a difference there. We need, we need all of us. We need to go into the world of sports. We need to go into every man's world with this sweeping story. This is your purpose. Go into every person's world and make known the gospel of the kingdom of God. 